0: Tonight our topic is honesty. We're going to unpack that here in just a few minutes. First, I want us just to uh, set our hearts to seek the Lord together in these days. I've, I've described this meeting as a journey. It is. There's this picture of the summit. We're climbing together. We're ascending together, wanting to experience all that God has for us. We see events like this sprinkled all throughout Scripture, both the old and the New Testament. One is recorded during the reign of King Asa. It's found in Second Chronicles 15:12. Listen to this description as they began this time together. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. See, they took the journey seriously pulling themselves out of the the busyness of life, the daily routine of life, gathering together one heart, one mind, one accord, setting their faces to seek the Lord. So here at the beginning of our journey, I'm going to invite you, along with me, to just dedicate these days to God in prayer. And I'm going to ask you, if you're physically able to stand up, turn around, and kneel at that chair. If you're not, just bow your head. Of course, it's the heart that God sees. But if you're physically able, would you join me for just a few moments on your knees? There's just something about this posture. We're in the presence of one who is greater than us. It's a posture of humility one of worship. Right, I'm going to ask you just quietly, ask the Lord first just to speak to you in these days. Would you do that? God, I'm listening. God, just speak to me in these days. Ask the Lord to do that personally. Lord, speak to me in these days. If you're married or you have other family in the church, ask the Lord to speak to your family members as well. Your spouse, if married, your children, perhaps your grandchildren will be in these services as well. Ask the Lord now to speak to your family members. And finally, ask God to give you the grace to fully obey whatever he says. We need God's grace to obey. Ask God to give you the grace to fully obey whatever he says to you in these days. Father, I know that it pleases you to look down upon this body and to see us on our knees. Lord, we're on our knees because we recognize we're in the presence of a holy God. We're on our knees, God, because we're desperate. We're desperate to see you work in our lives, our homes, our church, our community. God, we're desperate. And so, Father, for the course of these days together, grant us physical strength and stamina. Extend health to every member of this congregation and those that are attending so that we can come and fully engage in this holy pursuit of seeking you, and in advance, we give you the glory, the honor, the praise for all you choose to do in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Our text tonight is in 1 John chapter 1, a familiar text for many, so go ahead and make your way to 1 John almost to the very end of your Bible and in your word book tonight on page twenty our topic, getting honest with God. Now, we call this a revival conference. The heartbeat of our ministry, our spiritual DNA, so to speak, really revolves around this idea of revival. I recognize it's a bit of an old school term. We don't talk much about revival anymore. Some of our old hymns speak of revival. Where does this term come from come well it's a it's a scriptural term it's part of our spiritual vocabulary psalm 85 6 the psalmist says lord will you not revive us again That your people may rejoice in you. Now, I know the word revival can mean different things to different people depending on your faith journey. There are a lot of silly things, there are wrong things being done in the name of revival. I understand all of that. But we don't want to discount the term or, more importantly, the concept because some folks get it wrong. Now, when God does a reviving work, that is a work in the heart of his people. Sometimes we use the word revival to describe God's work in the heart of unbelievers. That's evangelism. As you see the word revival used in Scripture, this is that fresh work of God in the hearts of his people. It's that work of God that is restoring us to a place of spiritual health and vitality. So here's the sad reality. Most of us settle for a subnormal Christian life. And when someone comes along to teach and model normal Christian living, we may initially think it's abnormal. What I'm describing to you tonight and over the course of these days, this is the normal Christian life. This is the life that death and resurrection of Jesus makes possible to every child of God. Now, this is important. Revival is a sovereign work of God. It's not man-made. It's God-given. We don't have a tub that we took off our semi-truck, marked revival, that we're going to unpack and give you, all right? We're not seeking some experience. We're not seeking some mystical experience. In a sense, you don't seek revival. You seek the reviver. See, it's a relationship. It's the overflow of a relationship between you and God. Now, even though we can't produce revival, we can posture ourselves, we can position ourselves so that when the winds of revival blow, we can receive them. A response tonight is the response of honesty. That's the first puzzle piece that we're going to unpack, the response of honesty. And again, A revival truth. God's reviving work begins when we get honest with God, ourselves, and others. Now you're with me there in 1 John chapter 1. Let me start reading at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. All right, pause just a moment. The author, the human author is the Apostle John. He's an old man now, approaching the end of his earthly life and ministry. He sees a disturbing trend in the church. He sees people drifting away from God, caught up in all kinds of wrong teaching. And his approach, very simple, but very direct and calling people back to a relationship with God. He reminds them that fundamentally the Christian life is a relationship, a relationship, a personal relationship that we share with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Look down at verse 5. This is the message we've heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. Now, notice the theme, the contrast of darkness and light. This is a very common word picture in Scripture, both Old and New Testament. God is light in him is no darkness. So in Scripture, light comes to symbolize God, the word of God, truth, holiness, obedience to God. Darkness comes to symbolize sin, falsehood, spiritual ignorance, disobedience, and rebellion. Now notice what he says again. He's shooting straight with us. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him but walk in darkness, we lie. We're not practicing the truth. We say we have fellowship with Him. We say we're walking with Him. We say we're living in the will of God. We say we're right with God, but our lifestyle demonstrates something very different, consistent and persistent disobedience. Well, John says we've got a disconnect between the audio and the video, a disconnect between what we say, what we profess, and what we're actually doing living out. Obviously, sin is a major theme in the passage I just read. He references sin five times. Now, this is going to be very foundational to many in the room, but we're on a journey. I don't want to leave anybody behind, so let's just make sure we're on the same page regarding sin. So what is sin? Number one, sin is choosing what God forbids. Sin is choosing what God forbids the first recorded human sin in scripture is of course the disobedience of adam and eve in the garden that was set up in genesis 2 16 and 17 the lord god commanded the man saying from any tree of the garden you may eat freely but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat and the day that you eat from it you will surely die Now, this is what we learn about God. God creates, and then he tests. We talked about learning the ways of God. This is one of the ways of God. God creates, and then he tests. He creates Adam and Eve, and he puts them in paradise. You like that, don't you? But then he says, of any fruit, of any tree. Notice the generous heart of God. Of any fruit, of any tree, but the one tree. See, that's the test. That's where you prove your obedience Me. Someone has described this aspect of sin like this. These are sins of commission, sins that we commit. Essentially, God says don't and you do. God says don't and you do. Don't lie, don't steal, don't covet, don't yield to lust, don't use his name in vain. God says don't and you do. You're committing sin a sin of commission. But there's another shade or side of sin. Not only choosing what God forbids, but also neglecting what God commands. Neglecting what God commands. We see this explained in James four seventeen. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It's not just sin to do the wrong thing, but it is also, by God's definition, sinful to not do the right thing. Whereas that first category are referred to as sins of commission, these are sometimes referred to as sins of omission. These are things that we omit. Essentially, God says, do, but you don't. God says, do, study the word, give thanks always, pray without ceasing, give generously, And serve others. These are specific commands of God. But we don't obey. Now, Here's our tendency. My observation anyway. We look at those uh, lists of sins. Sins of commission and sins of omission. And we tend to think of them as more major league and minor league sins. Right? I mean major league sins. Adultery. Murder. Stealing. Minor league sins. You know... I have some shortcomings in my life. You know, I need to make some improvements. You know, I need to be better as a steward with my time. Here's what we need to do. We need to start calling things what God calls them. This list is as sinful as the other list. All sin is equally sinful. Now, not all sin have the same consequences. Obviously, certain sins have more serious consequences. But in regard to our relationship with God, you need to understand and acknowledge all sin is equally sinful. How does sin affect us? Number one, it deceives you. It deceives you. Again in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Sin is very deceptive, and we are very prone to deception. By the way, one of the ways you know that, that you've been deceived is when you say, I could never be deceived. There's an indication right there that you are setting yourself up for failure. Warning after warning after warning in Scripture. Do not be deceived. God wouldn't be warning us if we were not vulnerable to being deceived. Read this with me off the screen. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now, According to that verse, someone in the room right now is not prospering. I don't know who. Only God knows your heart. But I know based on that verse, there's someone in the room right now who's not prospering. You are drowning in guilt and shame and condemnation. And here's why. Your secrets are eating you alive. Your secrets are eating you alive. You've tried to conceal your transgressions rather than Honestly confessing and appropriating God's full and complete forgiveness. My second church was in Oklahoma. It was a a small community about 30 miles away from the nearest hospital. So when I made hospital visits, it was about 30 miles one way. And I had to do that several times a week. Well, I hadn't been there very long. And someone said, have you figured out the shortcut from Tulsa where I went for hospitals to get back here. And I said, no, but I'm all about shortcuts. Help me out. And they described it to me. So the next day that I went to Tulsa, I finished my hospital visits, and I thought, you know, I'm going to try this shortcut. And as they described it, it would actually take me right by the house of a lady in our church, a widow. I could stop by and visit with her, and then I would end up almost on the doorstep of our church. Now, understand, I'm a city boy living in the country, okay? So I'm on this country road. And I mean I'm barreling down this country road making good time. It's rained. The pavement is wet. I come to a small hill, and I get to the top of that hill, and suddenly, about 100 feet in front of me, the pavement ends. I mean the road ends. There's nothing in front of me but a cornfield. All right, so the combination of my excessive speed... Wet pavement and my slow reflexes. By the time the car comes to a stop, I'm right in the middle of that muddy cornfield. I can hear my wheels go, just buried them right in the mud. I'm stuck. Now, these were ancient days. No cell phones, okay? There's a little farmhouse sitting next to the field. I'm so mad with myself. I'm walking, tromping through the mud. I've got my nice clothes on here. I'm knocking on the door a lady opens the door and I said ma'am I'm embarrassed to admit this I got a little turned around was on the wrong road and well my car is stuck in your muddy field she looked at me and here's what she said we put a phone in the garage for people like you (laughs) people like me I felt so dirty she slams the door so I'm Walking around, and sure enough, there's the garage door coming up, and there's a phone on the side of the garage. Now, pastors, who do we call when we need help? We call our deacons, right? So I call the chairman of the deacons. I explain my dilemma. When he finally is able to contain himself from hysterical laughter, he and a brother deacon come and they pull me out of the muddy field. Now, you would think that the deacon would want to protect the dignity of the pastor of his church. But somehow, by that next Sunday, everybody in the church knew my story. And I was thoroughly humbled. Now let me tell you why I share that with you. If you'd asked me 30 seconds before I hit the top of that hill, what road are you on? I said, I'm on this road. Where's that road taking you? Well, there's going to be a little house with a widow. I'll stop there, and then I'll be at my church. See, It wasn't until it was too late that I realized I was on the wrong road. See if this resonates with someone in the room tonight. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I don't know who, but someone's barreling down sin highway right now. Oh, everything's going your way. Everything's going great. But disaster is coming. How does sin affect you? Number one, it deceives you. Number two, it hinders your fellowship with God. It hinders your fellowship with God. Go back to verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him but walk in darkness, we're lying. In other words, our fellowship is being hindered. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another so he's describing here again intimacy he's describing a personal relationship sin hinders that personal relationship let me illustrate i told you at the end of the service this morning patty and my story of how god called us into this ministry of life action so let me take you back june 2013 big month for us we put our house on the market that month put it up for sale, selling, giving away a lot of our stuff. Well, the Lord very graciously brought a buyer along so we were able to sell our house. Now, in a matter of just a few weeks, we moved out of a two-story, 3,000-square-foot house into a 300-square-foot trailer. You think there was a little change in that process? Absolutely. Let me tell you a big change. I couldn't hide anymore. See, when I had that big old 3,000-square-foot house, I had a man cave upstairs, I had a study. On those rare days that we were having a bad day, I said something wrong, it was usually my fault. I said something hurtful, I said something out of anger, I broke a promise, whatever. On those rare days that we were having a, a bad day, I could go hide. You can't hide in a 300-square-foot trailer. It's actually been great for our marriage. It makes us work stuff out. So, on those rare days that we have a bad day in the trailer, now watch. Our fellowship is being hindered. We don't have open communication. We're probably not demonstrating healthy affection toward one another. There's not kindness now on those rare days are we any less married the answer is no we're still married why our marriage is a legal fact that was settled in the state of texas decades ago even though we're fully married we're not enjoying the benefits of marriage the closeness the intimacy and so also with god here's how isaiah described it centuries ago Isaiah 59.1 The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. A separation between you and God. God seems far away. It's as if there is now a Wall between me and God. Let me show you how it happens. Let's say you've gotten into the bad habit of staying up too late at night, binge watching your favorite new TV show, right? So you don't get up in the morning, you don't spend time with the Lord, you're not cultivating intimacy with God, you're neglecting prayer, you're neglecting time in the word. Now there is a brick in the wall there's a barrier between you and God all right you're on your way to work some knucklehead cuts you off in traffic how do you respond Lord thank you for not hurting me or him no you're angry you're yelling and screaming and ugly gestures the scripture says be angry but sin not but in your anger you've sinned all right you get to the office Supervisor calls you in and says, today's the day for your annual renewal uh, or annual uh, 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 time to be, uh, you know, to, to sit down and, 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 uh, and get your check up there. Just how are things going? You know, that, that annual thing that you love so much. So, so you sit down and he or she begins to say, well, you're doing some things well, but we need some areas of improvement. You need to do better here. You need to do better there. And as he or she is talking, you're just stewing, temperatures rising, growing resentment. How dare you say that to me? You don't appreciate me. You guys don't understand me. And now you've got resentment between you and that person. All right, you get back to the, uh, to the desk and your buddy says, hey, how did your annual review go? And you said, well, not so great. How did yours go? And he said, well, they love me. I mean, they've given me a promotion. They've given me a big raise. Now, are you rejoicing with the good fortune of your neighbor? No. You're coveting. That should be me. I deserve that. That should be my raise. That should be my promotion. The scripture says don't covet that which belongs to another. All right, you're back to your desk. You're not having a very good day. A female coworker. Walks by and bends over your desk. Starts to flirt with you. She lingers a little too long and it's obvious she's flirting. And let's be honest as well, you're a little flattered. She finishes and walks on down the hall, but the conversation doesn't end in your mind. As a matter of fact, your, your mind goes to places that you know you shouldn't go. And you begin to embrace thoughts that you know You shouldn't embrace lust. So now we get home. The end of a very bad day. Who do we take it out on? The wife, the kids, you're grumpy, you're critical, you're selfish. Next day, some crisis hits. Immediately, you go to the Lord. Oh, God, I need your help. God, I can't make it on my... God, where are you, God? God, why have you forsaken me? No, God did not forsake you. You have created a barrier between you and God. You have not dealt scripturally with your sin. So how do I deal scripturally with my sin? John, again, gives us very practical direction. I know that many of you know it by heart, but let's read it together out loud. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, if it was possible to wear out a Bible promise, to exhaust a Bible promise, I would have exhausted this one long ago. But thankfully, you can't exhaust them. You can't wear them out. But let's make sure we're on the same page. So how do you confess sin? How do you confess sin? Number one, agree with God regarding your sin. Agree with God regarding your sin. The word there translated confess is actually a compound word in the original language. It literally translates to agree with. To agree with. Now what's the opposite? To disagree. Now you wouldn't be so bold probably to disagree with God. But again remembering the deceptive nature of sin. Hey, I'm only human. And you know, I'm not doing too well, but I'm sure doing a lot better than Bill over here. I'm sure doing a lot better than Susie's doing over here. And well, yeah, I know I've got a temper, but listen, if you had kids like this, you'd be angry too. blaming others, excusing, rationalizing, that's not agreeing with God regarding your sin. As we look at the ministry of Jesus, there was obviously significant opposition. You know the sad thing? The folks that gave him the most grief, it was the religious crowd. It was the religious crowd, specifically those Pharisees. Well, their battle, so to speak, finally came to a a, a climactic point in Matthew 23. And basically Jesus exposes them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. Six times in that passage, he calls them hypocrites. Now we need to understand what that word means in its context. We think of hypocrisy today as saying one thing and doing something else, and there's a flavor of that in the scripture as well, but it's a much more direct picture here. Jesus reached into Greek culture, specifically Greek drama, and he pulled this word out. You see, a hypocrite was the name given to a greek actor a greek actor and it literally meant someone who wore a mask ancient greek drama well number one ladies there were no women in ancient greek drama sorry only men so if i am a man playing a woman here's a representation of an ancient greek mask a female And if I'm a young man, but I'm playing an old man in my play, well, there's a a representation of what that mask would look like as well. Now, think about what Jesus was saying about the Pharisees. You're pretending to be something that you're not. You're wearing a mask. So I started thinking about masks. Now, for my generation, probably the most uh, iconic mask would be this guy. Who's this? Darth Vader. <sighs> Pastor Brandon, I am not your father. <laughs> now that's not the mask you're wearing tonight. He was a bad guy and you're a good guy. He did have a deathbed conversion, but I, I wouldn't count on that, all right? That's not the mask that you're wearing tonight. Let me, let me show you the mask that many of you are wearing. I think about my children and probably what will be one of the more iconic masks for my children? And well, who's this guy? Iron Man. A bunch of geeks in here. Iron Man. That's right. Now he's a good guy, right? Superhero. He's got this indestructible suit, and he flies around and he's rescuing people out of their danger. Now, I look around this room, and I see Iron Men, and I see Iron Women. You, you're the folks. You're the ones who are always here. You're the ones who are serving. You're the ones who are giving. You're the ones that Pastor Brandon can count on. On the outside, everything looks great, but let's be honest. Behind the mask, things aren't going so well. Behind the mask, things aren't going so well. Why is this? Most of us, the first thing we do when we get to church is to lie what do you mean lying in church somebody met you at the door this morning or maybe tonight extended a a, a hand and said hey how you doing and what did you say i'm doing great you liar your life's a train wreck the wheels are falling off oh i'm doing great why is it the place that should be the safest place for us to be honest Is the place that sometimes it's the most difficult for us to be honest. I was leading a conference in Manchester, Tennessee. It was the second Sunday testimony service, as we'll experience next Sunday morning. And I'm at the mic, and a woman comes to the mic, and she introduces herself. And she says, now, you all know me, and you know my family. We're the ones that are here all the time. We're the ones that are serving. And she says, for these years, I have presented to you a great marriage and a healthy family. And she said, we don't have a great marriage, and we are not a healthy family. We are hurting. And then right there in front of God and her whole church family, she took a little cotton ball and some cleanser, and she removed all of her makeup. I'll be honest, it was hard to watch. And when she was finished, she says, I'm taking off the mask. I've got to let our church family know we need your prayers. We need your love. We need your support. We need your encouragement. Secondly, how do you confess sin? Identify and take responsibility for your individual sins. Individual sins. Again, the verse that we just read, if you confess your sins, referring to individual sins. Now, here's what our tendency is. We want to sin retail and confess wholesale. So, what do you mean, Greg? We commit all these sins, and then in a moment of conviction, we'll pray a prayer like this Oh, God, forgive us our many sins in Jesus' name. Now, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I don't know a person's heart, but hear me. That is not a prayer of confession. See, we confess sins like we commit sins. We, commit, uh, we c- confess them individually. Let me illustrate. Lord, I've not been spending time with you like I should. I've been selfish with my time, God. I've not been cultivating a deep relationship with you. Oh, God, please forgive me and stir up within me desires to spend time with you, God, to, to, get, you know, uh, to get to know you better. And, and, Lord, you know, I had resentment in my heart toward my boss this morning. When I didn't hear what I wanted to hear at my review, God, that shouldn't be there. Please, God, remove that from me, and and Lord, just deliver me from that resentment. And Lord, I didn't rejoice with my coworker at his good news. And God, you've chosen to favor him and bless him. And Lord, please forgive me uh, for, for coveting. And Lord, you know that, that woman that uh, I embraced... Impure thoughts about that woman, God, and that didn't honor you. Forgive me, God, and cleanse me. And Lord, you know, I've been insensitive to my family. I, I've not been caring and I've not been loving like I should. And again, Lord, I don't know who that knucklehead was that almost killed me on the turnpike, but thank you that he didn't hurt me or hurt himself or hurt somebody else. And God, forgive me for acting and anger, If we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. How do you confess sin? Finally, claim God's full forgiveness and cleansing. Claim God's full forgiveness and cleansing. I met Andrew in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Listen to Andrew's story. When Life Action arrived, I thought I was just fine. I learned after the first night, however, that I was failing God, my wife, and children as a father and a husband. I finally came to admit that I could not battle my pornography addiction alone. I confessed it to my family and my church. I came to realize my secret sin was responsible for all the anger I was feeling, submitting to God's will, his plan, and purposes for my life. That's my new direction.